0: If you, if you design a really crappy building, they'll, they'll build it for you because that's what you hire them to do. If you design a net zero building, they will build that for you. So I think general contractors are service providers and they're working at the and call of the owners.
1: Hello innovators, I'm Todd Wyant and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software Great Tech Group. You're invited to join our conversation to model the future of construction, innovation, and the digital transformation adventure of this great industry. My guest today is Tommy Liedstrock. He has a 20 year career in managing sustainable construction and has launched his company Green Badger to help professionals from owners to subcontractors to lighten the load when going after LEED certifications. Today, Green Badger's mission is to make sustainability accessible, attainable, and effortless for the entire construction industry tommy regularly speaks at industry and sustainability trade events contributes content for forbes environmental leader and construction executive among others welcome to the show tommy
0: thanks for having me excited to be here
1: yeah looking forward to it for sure uh so how did you get involved in the the construction industry to begin with
0: uh it was a uh a long, a long road. i played many roles. I actually started my career in the uh, the real estate development side. So I started on okay. after after actually originally thinking I was going to be working in the nonprofit world. Uh, I, I got a master's of, of environmental studies back in the day. Thought I'd be doing nonprofit work, but I ended up taking a job uh, in Savannah, Georgia, just down the road from where I was getting my degree for a real estate developer. And they had a unique proposition for me that they wanted to be a, a totally green real estate development company and were looking for somebody to help head up, head that up. And you know, they didn't know what it meant at the time. They just felt that it was uh, the right way to do development and that there was a big business opportunity behind it. So I came into it as their director of sustainability and uh, we started using LEED as our baseline for everything that we would develop. And again, 20 years ago, this was People thought we were kind of crazy or that we had done, you know, we did some environmental damage and we were being uh, tasked with building green to atone for our sins, but no, <laughs> it was just how we want to do it. So really you know, started cutting my teeth uh, from the ownership side of how do you design these buildings? How do you build them? How do you manage and operate them after the fact? Um, and did that for a number of years before moving into the consulting side of things and leveraging that knowledge to help other people do that same thing. Um, and then eventually, getting a focus on construction, because as I kept going through uh, sustainable design and construction design, not, not easy by any means, but it was finite. You'd get a set of plans and you're done. And it's like, you're off to the races, but then it goes into three years of construction and toiling through uh, 30 different subcontracting groups on site and hundreds and hundreds of products and tracking all of that throughout the long, long course of construction was just a real pain in my butt. And so I started looking for alternatives to try and streamline that process and get me out of the spreadsheet nightmare I was living in. Uh, and there wasn't anything good out there. So thus, thus green badger was born to really help the construction world, try and streamline and automate green construction compliance and and lower the barrier to entry, uh, for companies that are trying to build sustainably. Yeah. Interesting. Where do you think
1: the the construction industry is
0: as a whole
1: on all things sustainability? Are we, are we still in the kind of that leadership just talking about it or are you starting to see more uh people and kind of reaching that critical mass of, of action?
0: We're seeing we're seeing more. Where I like to see it is, you know, contractors uh we're an interesting group. I'm lumping myself in with um because I, I talk to them every day. But it's you know, they'll do what you tell them to. If you they if you if you design a really crappy building, they'll they'll build it for you because that's what you hired them to do. If you design a net zero building, they will build that for you. So I think, you know, in some ways general contractors are service providers and they're working at the back and call of the owner. So, um, you know, some of it is is not necessarily on their shoulders though. So we do see an awful lot uh, now taking more leadership role and really, you know, promoting an in, in integrated design process where they can bring their solutions for sustainable construction to the board earlier and earlier. And as you look at, you know, increasingly stringent green building requirements. So, you know, you're moving from lead to like net zero. You you can't do that in isolation or it's really tough to. So we are seeing contractors given the opportunity to get much more engaged in the process earlier. So they're not just getting handed a set of plans and saying, you know, go build it as, as fast and as cheap as you can, but actually, you know, saying, hey, what could we do to make this building more sustainable or lower its energy consumption or lower its embodied carbon? So I think that the The process itself is is getting better because it's getting more inclusive earlier, which is what we need to make these buildings more sustainable. Yeah, yeah, I think that's one of the
1: the big hurdles on on a lot of areas in construction is getting uh, the the right people at the table early and often, and creating that that collaboration and hearing all the the different viewpoints and, and perspectives on it. Because what an architect is designing. Or uh, you know, they're designing with the sustainability might not be how it's actually built <laughs> that way, and, and you need that that voice and that perspective to come in early in the process to be like, yeah, I know that that makes sense on the design side, but actually in the real world, practical nature of it, it's not going to be done that way. We have got to do it this way, uh, and hearing that that kind of give and take feedback is is important. How yeah, have you, and it's stuff uh,
0: like we've been involved in projects, and it's like this was designed it's a federal project and it was designed five years ago. Right. And they didn't yeah. have funding. So it's like this same design is now sat there for five years. It finally gets funding and now it's like, go bid it out with zero inputs. And the world's a different place, obviously now than it was five years ago. So it's uh, the, the traditional design bid build, you know, there, there's room for, there's, there's a lot of opportunity for improvement in there. If we really want to get sustainable buildings. Yeah. So how do you overcome that obstacle then? So it's, it's, it's tough because a lot of times, right. The, the contractor can't make that happen. It really gets owner driven. And we were just presenting at a, a, an owner's conference in May. And it was interesting because it was myself and three contractors. And we, we had all this same conversation with the owners and it was like university systems and, uh, uh, federal people and some private institutions. And it was really a good discussion of, we under we can help you achieve your goals if you can shift your process that it is just more difficult and ultimately more expensive if we don't have a voice at the table earlier because we've got a lot of pragmatic understanding of how these buildings come together and things that we have seen work um and it's going to be to your benefit you know you think you 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 think it might be more expensive because we're not competitively bidding you know against three other people to get the best price but in fact it will be less expensive because if we're at the table earlier You know we can avoid things that might turn out to be more costly if we weren't involved so i think it's a lot of us just continuing to have that conversation um earlier than we can and i think just the the increasing complexity of some of these buildings that are have these higher levels of sustainability i think is uh is driving that in and of itself and that the owners are realizing that we can't just do it business as normal or we're gonna not hit the goals that we're setting for ourselves yeah So from your perspective,
1: what do you see as maybe some of the other big hurdles in uh, keeping the, not necessarily keeping, but limiting the, the, the widespread adoption of sustainability practices here in construction?
0: Again, a lot of it comes driven from the owner. So where you see a lot of adoption is publicly funded stuff, right? Because the federal government requires lead on everything. A lot of the states require it. On the mm-hmm. private side, you see a lot of the Fortune 100s. I think 95% of them require it, so there's there's a lot of pressure. But still, green construction only meets 30, 40% of the total marketplace. So, um you know, where you where you see it accelerated, I guess you, there's a carrot or a stick approach. If you go to Boston, they have it codified. Anything over 10,000 square feet basically has to be lead, silver equivalent or higher. So, if you want to do business, in Boston, it's going to be green. So you're really setting the bar there, uh, because that's just now the way you do business. The other way to do it is is incentivize it. I, I know in Georgia, um, specific to affordable housing, but it's still it's still construction, uh, a big chunk of construction, and you, know, you apply for tax credits to build affordable housing. And there's points available if you you build it green or build it sustainably. And there's a couple different rating systems. But literally, since that got uh, put into the, the process for how they, and so it's optional, you can choose to do it or not, but it's like now a hundred percent of projects submitting for tax credits are doing it green because they're incentivized to do it. And it helps make, make it a more competitive process for them. So, you know, there's ways, there's ways to drive the market through, through regulation and incentive. If you want to go that way, I think if you you're, you're waiting for everybody to do it out of the good of their heart, you might be waiting for a long time here. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh what role does automation play in this? How how should firms really think about uh automating sustainability?
0: I think it's, you know, you 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 live in this world as well as I. You see that uh, you know, construction historically has been one of the slowest adopters of technology uh and software. I think, you know, fortunately we've seen that change over the last decade and a lot of things that were done in spreadsheets and in emails are now using, you know, scheduling, planning software, using submittal software. So I think, fortunately, we're moving in the right direction. But, you know, in terms of automation and and the stuff software can do, I mean, anything that saves you time and is going to save you money and effort, and it's going to provide more transparency into processes, and it's going to hopefully reduce the risk of of something going off track. So really, in any of these cases, I think it just The argument against not, not doing it is, is there isn't much of one these days.
1: Yeah. Do you think there's a a misconception in the industry out there that like when it comes to sustainability or or even on the the automating side, is there a misconception that we have to kind of break down?
0: Um, I think again, there's just been the old, it, It comes down to change management. And I think a lot of it is we've been doing it this way. For so long, we're comfortable with it, right? It's like what Green Badger does. We're not saying, "Hey, we're we're a, an iPhone versus a, a Google phone, and we're competing on features." It's like mm-hmm. you are using a landline, and I'm giving you a cell phone, uh, and it's convincing somebody that that landline is is no longer the way to do it, and you really need to be on a mobile on a mobile phone. So, we're we're still just finding that you know there's a comfort level with Excel spreadsheets and Clippy the paperclip. Uh, and I think, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to recycle Clippy here and, and get into a, a new, a, just a new workflow, new way of doing things that happens to be faster, cheaper, more accurate. Um, but it's, it's, it's changing habits, which, which can be tough. Yeah. How has the
1: pace changed over the, you know, the, the last couple of years versus the, you know, probably previous couple of decades beforehand.
0: It has certainly accelerated. I mean, you can see that with any, any technology, um, you know, for, for us, we, uh, I use the analogy that we're like a turbo tax of lead and similar to the tax code, you know, it, it changes fre- more frequently than you would like for these rating systems. So lead has been around for forever. We're on iteration version 4.1, even with the version we're in every three months, every quarter, they release updates. And so, the upside of of technology is, you know, we handle that and we roll that out for everybody. And the people who are doing it the old way, well, now I've got all these spreadsheets. And do I have to change? Do I got to copy and paste? So I think just the the ability to manage the fluidity of these of these changing requirements, whether it's a certification level, whether it's going for net zero, um, they're just they don't tend to be static goals. And so if you're working on an inflexible system. You know that just is, is is one more challenge you're going to be spending time figuring out versus doing something that can help adapt for you
1: yeah so uh, in practical terms kind of dig into that a, a bit more how should firms really be, be looking at, at building out a uh, kind of a practical process on on how to decide uh, the appropriate green building certification
0: so there's a lot of there's a lot of green building rating systems out there and so uh, that that's tough, and a lot of it comes to what's important to that particular owner, uh, and where you are. I mean, if you're you know a big company with places all over the place, using a, a national rating system or international rating system like Lead can make a lot of sense. If you're just doing work in California, you know maybe using CalGreen, which is their state code, is is the way to go. If you're really focused on your 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 employees and wellness uh is more important to you there's a whole system called well and there's another one called fit well so i think you know some of it comes in and that's where that collaboration with your your design team and and your contractor to figure out what what is what do you really want to get out of this building like what is your ultimate goal if you don't if you if it's just net zero carbon and you put all your focus and effort on on system efficiencies that's a different approach than you might take for just going out and getting a different type of certification. So it still really comes to, to owner preference and what's important and valuable to them.
1: Hey, innovators, do you want to help inspire the next generation of architects, engineers, and builders? Applied Software Gray Tech Group does too. In fact, they have launched a scholarship contest and need your help spreading the word. If you know any students or teachers who could benefit from the contest, tell them to visit asti.com slash AEC scholarship for more information. Applied Gray Tech is giving away over $1,000 to help students pursue their dreams, and we need your help to make it happen. So what are you waiting for? Let's make a difference together. yeah so when should those conversations happen and then who should who should be in the room as early as possible
0: (laughs) is always the answer i mean to me it's sustainability gets a bad rap of being more expensive and yeah i mean if you take if you take building a and then you take the exact same building and put solar panels on top of it of course you're you're bolting it on it's going to be more expensive Mm. but if you have that conversation early and it is a if, if, if your sustainability goal is just as important as we've got to have space for 200 people and we've got to have a fitness center and we've got to have four break rooms and we've got to have sustainability, right? Then it can be done relatively cost neutral. You can't say, I want to have 200 people in break rooms, et cetera, get six months down the road and then say, oh, well, let's make it a green building. And you can, and plenty of people do but that's you know not, not the cost effective way to do it. So yeah. having those conversations, making it part of the building's programming um as soon as as soon as you can and and deciding that it's a non-negotiable really helps that process go yeah who should be involved in those conversations Uh, it'll sound cliche but you know the more the merrier it's right you got to have the owners because they're driving it and it helps if you have your design professionals and if you can have uh, somebody identified from the construction side of things. Again, it just, it, it, helps to really identify that. So especially now in the days when you start looking at embodied carbon, like once you put pen to paper, those are tough decisions to change, right? If you, you don't just say all of a sudden after designing a building, let's go do mass timber. Like you can't, you can't just switch from a, a concrete and steel structure to mass timber without starting from scratch. So it, like having those conversations and getting those people in the room to, 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 bounce those ideas off each other early on at these initial design charrettes is really, really the best, best way to do it. If you're trying to maximize the sustainability of your building.
1: Yeah. And kind of current state who, who, what kind of stakeholder do you see really driving sustainability on projects right now?
0: You know, if, if they're really shooting for a high level of sustainability, it, it really tends to be like an owner wants to do that. Like they don't, somebody doesn't come in and just say, Hey, I want to get a lead certified building and walk away with net zero too, too often. I'm sure it does happen. Uh, if you've got, and because there's a, there's a ton of great, again, architects and, and consultants and contractors that know how to get this stuff done and can make that compelling case But you know, if you're going for a top level of sustainability, you have an owner that's committed and they want to see, uh, they want to see that because that's, it's important to them. It's important to their brand. It's important to their organization. Uh, so they'll, they 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 can be driving that ship yeah and shifting
1: a bit uh so you talked about incentivizing on the the uh, regulations and the requirement side of things but but how do you bring about uh incentivizing on the the technical implementation and, and adoption to help come alongside the sustainability efforts and, and be able to, to report on it and track it and then be able to measure that uh you know you're actually making some progress here
0: I think, I mean, some of that is just in and of itself, right? I mean, to get to get to the levels of sustainability or the certifications, you've got to, you've got to have transparency into the process and you've got to, I mean, successful teams track and report consistently because otherwise you're getting to the end of the road and really just hoping everything's going to work out, which I'm sure is an approach to take. It's just simply not one that I'd recommend. And I think, again, just you know, benchmarking down the road, you, you design these buildings, you build them. What do you do after you occupy them? There's a huge transition between this small group of people that were designing it. And now you hand this over to facility managers and to hundreds of thousands of occupants who may or may not be your employee. How do you know that, you know, how do you how do you educate them to use the occupancy sensors, to not just flip it to permanently on, to not mess with some of the settings that you have. So I think that's one of the you know, that's one of the interesting components is really that transition to the occupied state of things, because it's, you, you tune this, you tune this car, it's, it's finely tuned, it's ready to go. And then somebody comes in and, you know, drives it, uh, is driving it, uh, down a dirt road in in reverse or something that's not supposed to happen. So, um, that, that's the challenge. So having a plan in place to transition, to ensure that in five years, your building is still operating how you designed it to, to make sure you're doing that effort. Um, not sure how you necessarily incentivize that, but other than you know that's got to be part of that transition from building the building to occupying the building or it's uh could be could be a kink in the road there.
1: yeah, so instead of incentivizing you have the the buy-in concept that you were talking about earlier of the kind of the carrot and the stick uh, how do you really generate that that good? healthy buy-in on the different stakeholders. So let's say you have a, an owner that's gung-ho and they are you know, very ambitious. They are super excited about sustainability and, and making a, a truly net zero green building. What, what do they do to go around and get buy-in to all the other stakeholders all through the, the life cycle of the building?
0: Sure. Um, I mean, the design and construction side, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's, again, they're the ones driving the ship in that case because they're writing the check. To me, this, yeah. uh, again, a lot of it comes back to change management. If you just say it once and nobody, you know, they hear you and then they think it's flavor of the week, it's it's tough. And so to me, again, when, when you look at like just sustainability programming implementation for our organization, there's a couple of things, you know, that we tend to highlight. One is, you know, you, having a long-term view. Uh, we see stand- sustainability get stamped a lot, stamped out a lot because we look quarter to quarter rather than like a three-year return. It's like I can't pay for this because the return is two years, which is by me, by by any means a great return on investment. Two years, right? But it's like I'm paying for that today. My numbers today look look like crap. So a short-term outlook, in general, you know, can hinder something that's going to pay dividends for years, um, but it might have a slightly longer payback to start compared to a quarter to quarter view. So we see that, you know, as a challenge often. Um, we also see, you know, not having that top down, authentic- uh, authenticity is the word I'm looking for. Top, You know, if you uh, don't have leadership reaffirming that this is important and we need to continue to operate our building or operate our business or any of these things, um, you know, it, they can wonder, well, how much do they truly value it? They're telling me to turn their lights out do they turn their lights out, right? Are they doing, are they practicing what they're preaching? And um, that's a huge thing. And then the third thing we see as a challenge is is this a lot of times just gets managed from the middle. Like somebody doesn't have a lot of sustainability experience so that they're efficient in operations and they get put in the sustainability role, but they're, you know, they don't have a budget or they don't have leadership support. They can't make other people do things, right? They don't have authority to to implement things and they're just kind of stuck in this no man's land in the middle where they want to do stuff, but they have no budget or no power to do it. And that is a, uh, that's not a great place for, for a sustainability program to live. So longer term outlet, uh, outlook, leadership and support from the top and empowering the people that you want to run this program are, are keys to ongoing sustainability success in, in an organization, in a building and in, in whatever it is from, from my perspective.
1: Yeah. How do you buy the time to, uh, have that space for the, the long-term ROI to, to really kick in and hold the, hold the wolves at bay, you know, why you, you have that, that long-term ROI. I'll
0: tell you what, I mean, the, the reframing this, and again, it's easier said than done, but sustainability in this manner is a business strategy and it needs to be treated as such. This is not a, mm-hmm. an ad hoc program. This is something that's adding value, providing positive returns. You would not launch a brand new product, uh, you know, in in a six-week sprint that you've not done market research, that you've not done pricing optimization, that you haven't built an audience in a go-to-market strategy, yet you'll spend a whole bunch of R&D dollars to do that, right? Sustainability needs to be looked at in that same lens. I'm willing to invest R&D dollars that I'm not going to see a payback from in years to come because this is a business strategy that makes us more competitive. Yes, it helps us retain talent. It's, you know, it's gonna help attract new people. It's gonna give us different business lines. It is a business strategy that just also happens to be the right thing to do as well. But it, it needs to be viewed with that lens of this is not a, a feel good program. This is something that the organization is committing to that's gonna have a positive return, but requires investment of capital, whether it's human capital or financial capital, if you really wanna see some some success out of it.
1: Yeah. No, i totally agree i think that that's the the exact right way to to position it because it's i mean it's true it, it is a business strategy it's it's not a an add-on ad hoc kind of spur of the moment thing it's a it's a long term this is going to be core kind of in our, our dna as a company this is what we're going to be doing where we're going to go and how I mean, we frame it these that. days
0: especially like with esg now is like what is the risk of not doing it right like if you're a contractor we'll go back to the construction world right if you walk into a bid meeting with a client and they say, what are you doing? How are you tracking your ESG metrics? Or what are you doing from a carbon management? And your answer is nothing like, and you lose that. If you lose one project a year because of that, that's millions of dollars, you know, of, of, of revenue. That's people employed working. That's all of this stuff. So like, do you really want to take that risk to not have this in the, in the 1% chance that you lose business over it? To me, I mean, it's, like, even if you don't believe you'll ever, you know, make all the, have all those other benefits I talked about, about retention and culture and all that other good stuff, what is the risk of not having a sustainability or ESG program? And if you believe there's any risk whatsoever, the investment is not nearly as much as losing even like, you know, a half of one project would be for your company. So it to me, it's, you know, again, it's a business strategy you should have in place because there's a lot of benefits to it. And there's also risks that if you don't have it.
1: Yeah. No, I think it's a great question. It's a great question to ask for sure. Uh, so I'm going to pivot a, a little bit. How do you think sustainability and having this as a a core business strategy, how does that help attract a wider audience to come into the construction industry?
0: Oh, man, I wish I had my my statistics here for you. But uh, my uh, colleague, Kristen, who works very heavily in the ESG side, it's got a great link, I think, from Delo- Deloitte or uh, one of them. And it just talked about how, you know, the new workforce, like 70% of them or something value sustainability. And so uh, if you're trying to attract new talent, which everybody's hurting for people, right? It's sort of an employee's, employee's market of getting to pick where they want to work. And they want to work for an organization that has, that mirrors their belief set. So sustainability is important to them. And they have the opportunity to work for a company with a flourishing, ESG or sustainability program, or ones that say, "Look, we don't care," or we're paying lip service to it. You know, which one do you think they're going to pick? And it's employees are your number one cost, not the energy consumption of your buildings or any of that. Employees, the number one cost. And so, if you don't have to hire somebody and have people six months out of a job because people aren't leaving, you don't have that loss of of institutional knowledge when somebody leaves, uh, and you can pull in people from from college that are coming out um, that have this as a core focus and it's important to, again, you're, that's, that's a, that's a risk to me. That's a risk that I wouldn't want to take. Yeah.
1: How how does construction uh, go about presenting that sustainability as as a whole uh, that sustainability is kind of that, that strategic initiative and and that construction is is taking big steps on that to kind of counterbalance the, stereotype of, of people outside of the industry that construction is not doing any of that and that it's just, yeah, you know, there's so much waste that, that does actually happen in construction, but how do we kind of counterbalance that, that narrative, that sustainability is coming in? Does that question that make th- sense? It was a bit of a, a it, it does. Question, I mean? but-
0: <laughs> you know, I would view it again, just as, as the opportunity for, for, for doing a better job, telling your own story. I know a lot of people. They feel like until I've got solar panels everywhere, they don't want to say anything because there's this Mm -hmm. fear of Mm -hmm. backlash of like you're greenwashing. You know, I wouldn't say put out a recycling bin in your office and go put out an annual (laughs) sustainability report. But like, there's a lot of good companies doing good things. And I, you know, I, I just would encourage them to not be afraid to tell their story. And to me, you know, there's no right or wrong answer on sustainability. It is a journey. And every company is at a different point on that journey. And some people are, tracking embodied carbon and some people are just starting to implement recycling on all of their projects and it's one is not better than the other they're just at different points on their journey and so being able to and a lot of things i think companies would be surprised you know we just released uh, an esg implementation guide for contractors that's available on our website that walks them through this process and one of our our key points is look when you look through the metrics we're talking about, I bet you're probably doing a lot of these things already. You're just looking at it at a different view. And once you pull this together, I think, yeah, there's there's going to be work to do, but you probably already have a pretty good story to tell and, and don't be afraid to tell it. And that's, I think, one of the good benefits of ESG is that, it, it yeah, it's going to help shift your thought process of where you need to go, but it's also going to perhaps tell you you weren't doing so bad to start with we have got a good baseline and now we just work towards improvement
1: yeah i love that i'm a big believer uh, across the board that construction needs to do a better job of owning their their story and, and sharing it out i think especially with sustainability we, we uh, as a whole tend to think that uh, unless you're doing something you know crazy big and sexy and totally changing the the world with your your project on sustainability that it's probably not worth talking about but Really the opposite is true because most of the time it's these small kind of 1% uh, improvements around sustainability, that that's what's making the big impact because you have this huge, uh, you know, uh, cumulative uh, effect there that we need to be telling those stories probably more than we're even telling those big dramatic sustainability stories.
0: A hundred percent. I mean, you could have one net zero building or you could have a thousand buildings that are all 15% 15% more efficient and which is really going to have the bigger impact in the end. Right? Like we've always yeah. got to have these high aspirational targets, but the cumulative, as you said, you know, and not, not that it's quantity versus quality by any means, but the quantity needs to be there. And if you can elevate, if you can take a hundred job sites that you're working on and recycle 25% of the waste, that's going to be a lot better than having two projects that you're recycling 95% of the waste. On. It's just, you know, get it out there, get it standardized, and then work to improve. I mean, that's again, where are you on your journey? Let's let's start. I see a lot of uh, paralysis by analysis. So if that's the 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 phrase, it's like you see some of these, and it just looks so daunting that mm-hmm. it's like, Mike, why should I even try and start? This is just going to be so difficult that I'm not going to do anything because I've got a perception that it's just going to be overwhelming. Whereas, you know, if you can help just frame it and take that first step, because the second step's going to be easier. Um, and then tell it, tell the world about it, tell the story, reinforce those actions. Cause the other thing is once you start talking about it, it's going to get more people interested in it and they're going to have better ideas for you too. And you engage, you know, sustainability is not something that three people in a company do. This is something that everybody has a role in and has thoughts in and has ideas on and should participate in and tell that story and let them get involved.
1: Yeah. hundred percent agree. Uh, so kind of uh, in that vein, what does innovation mean to
0: you then? Uh, innovation. Um, you know, we try and be as innovative as we can. And so, for what does that mean? That means that we're constantly trying to look opportunistically at at ways we can do things better, more whether that's more effectively, more efficiently, more comfortably, um, and just you know, it's it's just really easy. And I I know I'm sure I do it in my own life. Like it, you get comfortable, right, and then you do something for so long. And it's like, it it can turn off that little innovation switch. Um, And it's risky too, right? You can't just try every new thing that comes out because some of them are bound to fail. So, um, you know, we're, we think taking that for companies that are looking at innovation, they've got now directors of innovation at a lot of these contractors and it's, you know, it's, some are going to fail, right? But that shouldn't prevent you from trying things out. And that's why we're big proponents of piloting things of, Getting core groups uh, and just making sure it's structured correctly. Where we always see pilots fail is where it's like, hey, go try this for two weeks and let me know how it goes, with no training and no support and you know, no no real mechanism. And then of course, what happens? They don't actually try it. They go back and say, yeah, we didn't like it. It didn't work. And it, and then it's dead. Um, so having a structure for as much as you can for innovation. You know, if I was advising other uh, tech companies of approaching GCs, it's make sure your pilots are supported. And that you get the actual opportunity for use and can provide training and feedback, so you do have a fighting chance. And for for contractors and companies, you know, there's a lot of, uh, of of bright people out there that are doing really good jobs of this. And it's you know, it's let's let's constantly look for ways that we can make lives for ourselves and our, our teammates easier, better, faster, all that other good stuff.
1: Yeah, preach preach uh it's a soapbox for sure i I more than agree with you uh how do people find out more information on green badger and connect with you
0: easiest way go to our website www.getgreenbadger.com we're on all of the usual socials as well with green badger getgreenbadger.com and you can find us find us there Perfect. Well, last
1: question for you. If I could give you all power, you could snap your fingers and innovate one thing in construction. What would you pick to innovate? Ooh.
0: So a lot of, you know, again, construction is the end result of design and which is the end result of the, the owners driving the ship towards where they want to go. If I had magic power, that's a tough one. Uh, it, it's too cliche to say that all buildings are sustainable, but uh, I would say that, you know, if if I had my druthers today, it would be let let let's codify it and and drive sustainability into into every building that we have because it's it's necessary. We need to get there, and uh, sooner rather than later is the is is the calling card today. Yeah, well, getting it
1: codified would, uh, would go a a long long way down that road for sure. That'd be a huge step. Well, Tommy, thanks so much for taking the time and joining the show today. Really enjoyed the conversation.
0: I appreciate it, Todd. Thanks for having me.
1: And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take owners. You have a major part to play in the sustainability initiatives in construction, the owners need to be the ones driving the efforts but also the conversations with the key stakeholders throughout the project lifecycle. Second take, what is the risk of not having a sustainability program? It's a really good question that Tommy proposed. I encourage everyone to honestly ask themselves that question. As we discussed, sustainability must be viewed as a business strategy for success. And final take, sustainability is a journey. First work on getting it standardized, and then you can improve the process. No matter where you are on your journey, don't be afraid to share your story. It is encouraging and impactful to share all kinds of stories, no matter how big or small the sustainability project is. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software, Gray Tech Group at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining the conversation to model the future on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyant, edited, and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an Applied Software Great Tech Group production. Copyright Applied Software Great Tech Group 2023.